great. Okay, so we as a church are currently reading one of the biographies of Jesus' life. It's written by a guy called John, um, who wrote hundreds and thousands of years ago. He wrote an account of Jesus' life, and we are now two-thirds of the way through the book. Um, so if you're reading along with us, we are currently on chapters 11 and 12. Uh, what we're doing as a church is each week we want to encourage you to read the two chapters before you come to the Sunday gathering, and then we're unpacking an element of it every Sunday, so you're kind of a little bit clued in. Do I dare ask if anyone's read it this week? Has anyone read it? I see some hands. I say some, I see one hand. Well done, Mumbles. You get brownie points. Um, It's okay, because we're actually going to read a whole bunch of it today. Um, So we are going to be reading chapters 11, uh, well, we have been reading chapters 11 and 12. And I thought, to start us off, we would play a little game of Jesus Miracles Top Trumps. Are we up for that? We are up for a game of Jesus Miracles Top Trumps. So if you look around where you are, you might find that there's a slip of paper folded in half which has got some big words written on it. Now, if you are feeling slightly confident and you're up for it, I'd like to encourage you to come up to the front with your big slip of paper and stand over here. If you really don't want to do that, just give it to somebody who looks confident and comfortable uh, and they will bring it up. Very good. So we've got some, we've got some good miracles coming up. There should be 13 in total. So what we're going to do as these guys come up is we're, we're going to find out what is the most amazingest miracle that Jesus did. We're going to pit them off against each other until we know. Okay, very good. I just want to come over here. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's more. There's more. Have a look around you. Come on. There's a few people who are like, oh, rats, I found one. If you find one, come to the end. Okay, we've got the most important one, so that's okay. It doesn't matter if we don't necessarily get one. Okay, do you want to come to the the end if you find another one? Um, Okay, this is good. So, let's do this one first. So, uh, this one is slightly irreverent. This one just says glows, uh, and this one says predicts the future. So, this is a reference to when uh, Jesus went up a mountain, and he had a meeting with God. It was amazing, and he came back, and he was glowing. So, again, slightly irreverent, but... I was trying to be funny, but I realize now I'm saying it out loud. It's really, really irreverent. But there we go. Um, and this one is about Jesus predicting the future. So knowing some stuff that's going to happen. So what do we think is more impressive, glowing or predicting the future? Anybody? Glowing? Predicting the future? Okay, I'm, I'm hearing more predicting the future than glowing. So thank you. Do you want to go and pin yours onto the board? Just right at the very bottom, there's some magnets. Pin it right at the bottom as the... Yeah, and we'll kind of see how we go. Okay, so we've got predicting the future versus knowing someone's life circumstances. So there's a whole bunch of times when Jesus just kind of met people and he just seemed to know some stuff about them. and He just spoke straight into it. So knowing stuff that's going to happen in the future or knowing someone's life circumstances, what do we think? Future, very good. So life circumstances, you can go and put yours on the board. Thank you very much. So here we are. The most impressive thing Jesus ever did. Okay, come over this way. Heal someone who's been lame for 38 years versus predicts the future. Thoughts? Lame. Lame. The lame. Very good. We have a new winner. So predicts the future. If you could go and put yours on the board, that'd be great. Okay, so we've got someone who's been lame for 38 years or healing someone. What, What do we think? Yeah, this one's got more detail in it. There's no details for this one, so sorry about that. Very good. So here we go. We've got heal someone who's been lame for 38 years versus raises someone from the dead who's been dead for four days. Yes. Bye, Steve. Bye, Steve. Okay, so raises someone from the dead to tells a storm to calm down. 
Dead. Yeah, okay, Storm, off you go. We've... Oh, Budum and indeed Tish. Very good. So we've got Raise the Someone from the Dead versus Walks on Water. Ooh. Ooh. What do we think? What do we think? Yeah, Raise us from the Dead. Sorry, Walks on Water, you're out. Okay, Heal Someone Who's Been Blind from Birth versus Raise Someone from the Dead. Dead. You're off. Very good. It's working. Okay, Turns Water into Wine. Sounds good to me. Versus Raise Someone from the Dead. Yeah, wine, you're out. Get out of here. Okay, this is a cool one. So this is, this is healing someone remotely. So this is Jesus being like over there and healed someone from all the way over. That's pretty impressive, right? Pretty impressive? Healing someone remotely or raising someone from the dead? Yeah, sorry. Remote healing, you're off. Very good. What have we got here? Feeds 5,000 people from someone's lunchbox. That's pretty good. What do you think? Lunchbox, lunchbox or dead? Dead. Sorry, lunchbox is out. And here we have... Oh, there's no, you don't stand a chance. Feeds 3,000 people. Get out of here. So there we are. We have a winner. Round of applause, please. Well done. Pick the right one. Okay, so. So these are some of the amazing things that Jesus did whilst he was alive. And this week in chapter 11, we come across this one here, which you all did very well. Thank you so much for making sure this illustration worked. Very good. In chapter 11, we come across that one there, which is uh, raising someone from the dead who's been dead for four days. Uh, now, and this week, if you read along, you will have noticed that chapter 11 tells the story of Jesus' friend, a guy called Lazarus, uh, who happens, uh, and what happens when Lazarus dies. Um, and there's this really interesting moment in the story because this is the last big miracle that Jesus does before he goes into the last week of his life. So you kind of get this kind of sweep of miracles which starts with a wedding, a really joyful affair, and it ends with a funeral, a really sad and sorrowful affair, and Jesus is basically kind of doing miracles everywhere in between. And this is the last one. John has put this one here very deliberately as kind of like a crescendo moment of like, this right here is the most amazing thing that Jesus did before he died and came back to life again. So this is an important moment in the story, and this is where we've landed. So, um, we are going to unpack this story a little bit this afternoon. Um, so I thought it would be good if we read it together. And I also thought it would be good if somebody else came and helped me read it. So it's not just me talking for the next 20 minutes. So does somebody want to come and read? Who really wants to read? I'll be nice to you, I promise. Um, I'll pick on someone if, if you don't, if nobody volunteers. Looking around the room. Yeah! Boy, come and join me. Hooray! Everybody give Jeremy a round of applause for being volunteered. Well done! Oh, there's going to be some revenge later. Very good. Would you mind sitting here? If I give you that, okay. if you read that, I'm going to interrupt you every now and again. Oh, that should be fun. That'll be fun, won't it? There you go. <clears throat> That's for you. Um, so, Boy is going to read this for us, and we're just going to listen to the story together, and I'll interrupt every now and again. Go, go for it. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Okay, sorry. I told you I was going to interrupt you. Um, so there we have it. 
Jesus' friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus has this reputation as a guy who heals sick people, right? We've seen it. We've heard it. It's happened before. Mary and Martha are like, don't worry. I know a guy. Jesus will surely come running to heal his friend, right? It's what he does. Let's read on. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God. So the Son of God will receive glory from, he- from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, Lazarus he stayed, stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. I love this. Sorry, I interrupted you again. I love this from Jesus being like, don't worry, he'll be fine. He'll be absolutely fine. Um, but isn't this interesting? Jesus was like, no, I'm not going to go back now. I'm not going to go back right now. I'm going to wait a couple of days. But then he decides to go back anyway. Like, why didn't he just go back two days ago? Why has he waited? Let's read on. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judah were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus, Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can, they can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because of the, they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, we'll, uh, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. Oh, goodness. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Interesting moment, right? Anybody else notice that? Like a breath ago, Jesus was saying, Lazarus' illness won't end in death. Jesus waits two days, and then he's like, oh, it, it has. Like, interesting moment, don't you think? Like, if only Jesus hadn't waited. Let's read on. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe Come, let's go and see him. Did you see that? Did you catch that? What on earth did Jesus mean by that? For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. This is really weird of Jesus. Like, I can just kind of imagine him like throwing down and storming off like, right, now's the moment. Now we're going to go. Why now? You know, Jesus seems to be doing something strategic here. It seems like he's decided not to go and heal Lazarus when he could have done. And he's basically being like, okay, now's the moment to go. Watch this. So let's carry on. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. I love this. Morbid, morbid Thomas is like, well, Jesus is off to go and die. Well, let's just all go with him then. Fine, go on then. I'm in, in for a penny, in for a pound. Carry on. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only two miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people uh, had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. powerful moment right like who can relate to Martha in that moment if only you'd been here like if only you'd been here 
And it is weird for us to kind of observe Jesus in the moment because we feel like, yeah, like Jesus, we called for you and you didn't come. You could have come and you chose not to and now our brother is dead. And she's like, Jesus, we all know you can heal, but no one can raise someone from the dead. Like, it's too late. I know you're powerful, Jesus, but you can't be that powerful. But notice even now as she's saying this, um, there's like this tiny little grain of hope. There's like a little spark or a flicker of hope when she says, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She's just, just on the tips of her fingers daring to have faith here. She's daring to believe in Jesus. She's daring to believe that this life that Jesus has been talking about might just be more powerful than death. Let's read on. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. So just a quick pause. This is uh, Martha talking about a really common belief back then that uh, at the end of time, God would wrap everything up, bring everybody back to life again, and there would be a moment of judgment where whatever you've done in life, however you've kind of lived your life, would be kind of judged. So that's what she's talking to about the kind of ultimate moment when everybody uh, rises from the dead. That's what she's talking about. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? What a moment. So Martha has said that she believes in the resurrection, in people coming back to life at the end of the world. It's a bit of a niche thing to believe. I'm not sure everybody in the room would subscribe to that, but that's certainly what she believes. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that power which is going to achieve that is in me. In fact, it is me. I'm here right now. Jesus is almost teasing her here to see quite what she believes, to see exactly how far her belief goes. You know, you say you believe in the resurrection, and I'm saying that those who believe in me will live even after dying. Jesus is like, well, okay, Martha, how much do you believe in me? Do you believe that I can do even that? Let's carry on. Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leaves so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to, to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So there you have it. There you have it again. There's that moment, this time from the other sister. If only you'd been here. If only you'd been here. She's basically making a statement here that she believes that Jesus can heal, but when it comes to death, Jesus can't do anything. He doesn't have, like, dominion there. Let's read on. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. So that's a little bit of a funny moment. Like, I was reading that earlier in the week. I was like, why is Jesus angry here? And I think what that angry word, that's a bit of a kind of 2D English word we've used there, anger. It's not that Jesus doesn't get angry. He gets angry all the time. But this is more like a kind of 
passionate, emotional welling up of like seeing a great injustice and just being completely incapable of stepping out and acting. So yeah, sometimes that manifests itself as anger, but this is kind of like, it's like that, do you know what I mean by that? That kind of like great big whoosh of emotion that impels you into action. That's kind of what's going on here with Jesus. Let's read on. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And again, like there's Jesus' emotions on display again. Jesus weeping and being motivated by his emotions. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, like, I really want those who are leading us to kind of lead without their emotions. I really want to be led by a Vulcan, like someone who's got their emotions totally under control and only does like the rational, logical thing to do. But here we see an example of Jesus who identifies with us in our humanity, who really feels things in his guts, who weeps when his best friend dies, who weeps and is motivated to action by his grief, who feels that pressure of expectation, and who weeps. This is an amazing moment when we see Jesus identifying with our humanity. And let's again also notice that that narrative is back. The people are saying it again. Jesus can heal folks, but he can't do anything about death. If only Jesus got here before it's too late. It's stemming from that belief that death is more powerful than Jesus. Let's read on. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. So here it is. Here is the big moment. Like, you can kind of feel that electric expectation in the air. Like, Jesus is going to go toe-to-toe with mankind's number one enemy. Can you just put yourself, imagine being a spectator in that moment. Imagine watching this guy come up to the tomb. Imagine of hearing all that narrative of, like, there's nothing you can do about this. And he's walking towards the tomb. And he's asking them to roll the stone out of the way. Can you imagine? You'd be flabbergasted. You'd be like, what are you doing? He's not, he's not really going to do it, is he? He's not. And he is. He's going toe-to-toe with death. And there was this belief around at the time that, that a soul stayed in the body for three days after death, and after that it went off. Um, and so this is four days. This is four days later. So anybody who thought Jesus might have been able to do it would have thought, well, it's four days. If you were going to do it, if you were going to do the impossible, you had like a three-day window. You just missed it. This is day four. But Jesus still says, no, roll the stone away. Can you imagine being there? It would be electric. Let's find out what happens next. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Come on! Isn't that amazing? Somebody put a hand against another hand. Somebody say yes. There you go. My goodness. I know it's Sunday afternoon, uh, but there we go. Isn't that amazing? He comes out, goes toe-to-toe with death, and Jesus wins. Can you imagine being there? Like, can you imagine actually seeing that? 
I mean, it's an amazing story. And like I said, it's the last miracle that Jesus did before John moves on to tell the story of Jesus' final week. And this moment, this head-on collision with death, is Jesus' final crescendo of his ministry. And the fact that we, um, you know, the next thing that happens is the leaders are like, that's it, that's the final straw. And they start to really put in place plans to kill him. Why don't we take just a, thank you very much. Can we give um, Jeremy a round of applause? (laughs) I loved the extra drama at the end. You brought it. Well done. Uh, You can do that again if you like. Hooray! Very good. You got yourself a job. Um, We're just going to take a couple of minutes uh, with the people sitting around you to just chat about that story that we've just heard. Like, how did that land with you? And I've just got a couple of questions. Like, do you think that really happened? Like, in real life? Do you think Jesus actually brought a dead dude who'd been dead for four days back to life again? Like, how do you think you would have felt if you had been there? Like, what would have been going on inside of you? Would you have been, like, pro-Jesus? Or would you have been, like, one of the haters? Like, there's no way he can do this. Or, like, what if you were one of the sisters? Do you think you would have believed that Jesus could do it? What do you think? What I want you to do is find some people around you. If you're uh, native to Gloucester Vineyard Church, I want to make sure that everybody here has got somebody to to chat with. We're going to chat for about two or three minutes, and then I'd love to hear from some of you guys if if you feel comfortable with that. So um, find some people around you. Make sure everybody's included. And let's just answer those three questions. Like, how would you have felt if you were actually there? Okay, I'm sure you're having fabulous conversations and I'm very reluctant to interrupt them, but I've also been really ill-disciplined with my timings today. So, I want to hear from you guys. Um, and maybe two people. Who wants to share a reflection from your group? Look at me like you want to say something. Yes? No, that wasn't a hand. Yeah, go on then. I said that if I was one of the sisters, I'd been really annoyed. Because four days' worth of grief is really annoying, like, to have to go through all of those emotions, even though I understand. I think they, I, you know, looking in the reflection of everything he's done is all just healing, and they kind of thought, oh, okay, well, that's that. I would have been annoyed of his lack of organisation to not get here soon enough, and to have to be put through that, like, it's just really annoying. Legit, thank you. Very similar thought being shared over there about kind of Jesus weeping through the grief that he was kind of relating with the sisters as well. Anybody else want to share something? Any other thoughts? Getting outside of my range here. Yeah. You probably have to come towards me so everyone can hear you. Sorry. Come, come hither. <laughs> I tend to be a, a bit of a cynical person. I don't believe things if I can't see them. Uh, that's sort of my natural uh, way of looking at things. But because God has moved so much in my life in the past, I, I know uh, that he can and does perform miracles. So had I been there in those days, I would have probably struggled and I would have been one of the, possibly one of the doubters. But having got a relationship with God and, um, and Jesus and having experienced him moving in my life, then yes, I can definitely believe the miracles. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. That's brilliant. Anybody else? We don't have time for one more, but I want to hear one more anyway. Anybody got one? They want to share? Diddly dee. Mm-hmm. Okay, good job, because we don't have time. Um, okay, so I wanted to read this story for one really simple reason today, because I think all of us come to this moment in our journey with Jesus. We all come, ag- uh, we all come up against things that we don't think that God can do. As simple as that. 
Uh, we, don't th- we think that there are some things that Jesus cannot change. We come to kind of our, the end of our belief in Jesus. Now, some of us actually get there super quick. We kind of encounter some Christians or we encounter Jesus in some way, and we actually kind of encounter, and then we go, well, is he the son of God? Did he do all of this stuff? Did he rise from the dead? Probably not. And that's fine. Like, we've all kind of been on that journey to one degree or another. Um, And yeah, some of us just get there really quick. Others of us have seen and heard enough evidence, just like Boy was just sharing with us there, about kind of things and amazing things that we've heard and seen happen uh, that God can do. Um, But again, all of us will come to a moment when we'll kind of go, "Mm, I just feel like you probably can't do that. Or like, "Mm, my experience is that you can't really do that. You might remember some of the folks from the story who said, Jesus, if only you had been here earlier. Like, I believe you can do the healing thing. If only you'd been here when you were kind of within your sphere of influence, when you could have done something and with the thing that you can do. You can't do that, and now it's too late. So if only you'd been here when you could have done this. They basically put Jesus in a box. They'd limited him to what they could imagine him doing, or more like what they had seen him do in the past. But I want us to zoom in on one little moment in this story. It's when Jesus was talking to the first sister, uh, and he says this. He says, she says, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She's basically saying, Jesus, I really only believe in you. I only really have faith in you that goes this far. You know, if I'm honest, I really only believe that you can heal people. Um, But I've just got this glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, you might be able to do more. And if I'm honest, I don't really dare to allow myself to hope that you might be able to do it. Because uh, if I'm disappointed, I don't think I could take it. It's like a tiny ember of hope. I've just got this tiny spark, and it feels like the most dangerous thing that I have. I cannot tell you how many times I've felt like this in my walk with Jesus. Seriously, like, I so relate to Martha in this moment. I have seen God do so much in my life. I've heard so many stories um, of what God's done. I've seen God speak to people. I've seen people healed and set free from stuff that was oppressing them. You know, I've seen people's lives turn 180 from a path that led to destruction to a path that led to life. But I have things that, if I'm honest, I don't believe I'll ever see. Things that I'm encouraged to believe I will see. But if I'm really honest with you guys, I don't believe that I will. You know, I believe that when we pray for someone, sometimes God miraculously heals them there and then. You know, I really believe that that crazy thing happens today. But in my experience, when I pray for people, people don't get healed. Has anybody here ever prayed for someone and they haven't been healed? Yeah, handful of times. Anybody ever prayed for someone and they have been healed? Yeah, handful of times. There you go. Well, it's my experience that when I pray for people people don't get healed. And so this is kind of slightly ironic because people go, oh, he's a church leader. I'll go and ask him to pray for me because it'll work. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have come to the wrong place, my friend. I'm just being honest with you guys, but this is how I relate to Martha in this moment of like, I believe that God does heal, but I just haven't seen it. Like, if I'm honest, when I lay my hands on to pray for people, there is a narrative going on in my head of, like, this will not work. And every time I pray for somebody and it doesn't work, it gets harder for me to pray for the, another person the next time. Does anybody else relate to that? Yeah? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Whoopee! But I believe that God wants to teach us and me otherwise. 
that he is so much bigger than the limits of our faith that we put on him, that he can do things that we've decided that he can't do or that he won't do through us, that he can smash our expectations and he can handle our disappointments. So where does this leave us? This week we've seen Jesus get into the ring with mankind's greatest enemy, death. Anybody who's ever walked through losing somebody close to them will know that death is the worst thing in the world. There's just nothing like it. And this week, we've seen Jesus go toe-to-toe with that. Jesus talks in John so much about life. He talks about everlasting life, eternal life, abundant life, life in all of its fullness. And part of that message of Jesus is about the defeat of death. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to be reading about Jesus journeying to the cross, to the moment when Jesus ultimately took on death himself, when Jesus himself died. And we're going to witness the moment when after three days, Jesus emerged from the tomb, just like Lazarus just did, having swallowed death forever. End of story. We're kind of getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but in a few weeks we're going to be celebrating that we can have that hope. That Jesus is capable and has already overcome humanity's biggest enemy. But today I just want us to stand and reflect on our own journey with Jesus and ask, where have I put Jesus in a box? Like, what have I decided that Jesus can't do or won't do or won't do through me? What have I decided is too late? Like if only Jesus had got here sooner. What have I decided that I just, I'll just never see that in my lifetime? What do, we, what do I think is too big or, and powerful that God just can't overcome it? You know, maybe you've come in here today with your addiction and you've tried and you've tried to kick it. You've had all the prayer, you've been to all the therapy, but just nothing's touching it. And you just think, I'm just never going to get free. Or maybe you've been hoping for healing either for yourself or for someone else and you've asked and you've you've dared to ask again and again and you've just been disappointed. Maybe somebody you know and love is is really like heading down a scary dark path and you're just, you're terrified for them and you're thinking there's just nothing that's going to turn them around. There's nothing that can interrupt that spiral. Or maybe you're just like Mary and Martha and someone you love has died and you've been left feeling like, Jesus, why did you get here sooner? Why didn't you get here sooner? I'm just going to, we're just going to take some moments now to kind of reflect on that question of like, what have I decided in my heart Jesus can't do? What have I decided is too big or too powerful for him? Where is that narrative running through my life that says, if only you'd got here sooner? Um, Danny, where are you? There you are. Um, Do you want to come up? Um, What we're going to do now is, I'm I'm just going to encourage us to kind of just close our eyes and just reflect on that question. And then we're going to do a couple of things um, to respond. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to come and we're going to take communion. Over here we've got some gluten-free, dairy-free bread, and we've got some blackcurrant squash. Um, And I just want to encourage you today, if you want to respond to this message by saying, you know what, Jesus, yeah, I've put you in a box. I have got something in my life which I think is too big and too powerful that, that you can't touch then coming forward and taking communion today is a way of identifying with Jesus in his death and saying, you know what? I dare, I dare to look at that spark. I dare to look at that ember of hope that you might be able to touch this. So as we come forward for communion, if that's where you're at, I'd love for you to come and grab some bread, 
dip it in the, in the squash and eat that as a kind of physical way of saying, I'm, I, I dare to believe. And after you've done that, you've got two choices. You can either come and sit back down in your chair and Danny's going to lead us through a song. Or if you want someone to stand with you and pray with you about that thing which you feel like is too big for God, then just go and stand over there in that little area there and somebody very friendly will come and stand and pray with you. And you can share as little or as much as you like with that person. You can say, I just want some prayer and that person will pray for you. Or you can give them your whole life story. Don't do that. Um, But in all seriousness... If you go and stand over there, we'll just take that as a kind of sign that you'd like somebody to come and pray with you. Um, So why don't we all um, stand together? The kiddos have come back in again, so we'll celebrate communion with them. And I just want to encourage you to come and do just just what we've said. When you're ready, if you want to, come and receive communion, grab some bread, dip it in the squash, and eat it to say, I'm daring to believe in you Jesus if you want to you can go and stand over there and somebody friendly will come and pray for you and Danny's going to lead us in a song as well so maybe where you're at is you just need to sing this song like it's true sing it like you believe it we're going to respond in that way for the next five minutes or so I encourage you to engage your kids with what's going on um, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes